0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion on the Gospel of Thomas this week with verses 17 and 18. I'm being joined this evening by Bishop Wayne Peterson, as well as our producer, Father Tony. Hello. Good evening, everyone. How are you? you? Good, good.
1: I Doing think good. we're about to get another guest.
2: Oh, wow. Special yes.
1: surprise, 30 seconds into the podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Mar Thomas, Dr. William Bean, the primate of the United States for the Apostolic Joanne Church. Welcome, Mar Thomas.
3: Thank you so much. Sorry about the technical issues. Can you hear me all right? Yep,
1: just fine. Okay, good, good. So uh, we're, we're talking Welcome. about the Gospel of Thomas. Thanks. I'm, I'm going to paste the... Uh, the thing into the chat window here so you can see what we're talking
0: about because you have no idea.
3: Well, I'm, I'm looking at the it's 17th and 18th Logia, right? That's right, yes.
0: Okay, yep. Well, why don't we have Bishop Peterson uh, read that for our listeners who are not familiar with the text.
2: Okay. Um, number 17, Jesus said, I will give you what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no hand has touched and what has not entered into the heart of man. And uh, 18, the disciples said to Jesus, tell us how our end will be. Jesus said, since you have discovered the beginning, why do you seek the end? For, there the, for where the beginning is, there will the end be. Blessed is he who shall stand at the beginning in the beginning, and he shall know the end and shall not taste death.
3: Well, that's a lot of pretty standard Gnostic mumbo jumbo, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing that
1: came up during the video part is it's actually kind of standard um, uh, Judaism and Christian mumbo jumbo as well.
3: Right, right. <laughs> at, I at mean, least it's the just- first part. The end is the, first the beginning, of and the beginning is the end. And why do you want to know the end when you haven't found the beginning? And I'm going to tell you what, you no, know, what has never arisen in the human heart. And I, I mean, it, it, it's so so broad, it's so open that that you can you can paste almost any interpretation onto it if you look at it in uh, you know out of context as as sort of I'm looking at it right now. So. Mm-hmm.
2: And the whole thing is about the Gospel of Thomas is that the Gospel of Thomas often is out of context because it's a a collection of sayings.
3: That's right. That, that's an excellent, excellent point.
2: <laughs> the whole thing's out of context. The whole Although, thing's out of context. Um, I did, I did know a possible connection between these two verses in the video cast. Um, but we were talking about with uh, verse 17. Um, apparently, this is an old uh, Ju- uh, Jewish saying, and, and was used by Christians as well. Um, Paul repeats this. Um, Bishop Canary pointed out this, this. This saying is repeated. Is said early on in, in the book of Isaiah. And and Origin uh, actually said attributed this to a saying in a one of the lost uh, sacred books, uh, either the Apocalypse or the Apocrypha of Elijah. So it, it, there is there is a kind of a history with this. And as I one of the things that the commentators have also pointed out is that this is um, this verse adds in what no hand has touched, mm. which does not appear in the other. Versions of this saying, and I noted that that's kind of interesting, given that it was Thomas who insisted insisted on touching Jesus
3: yeah, yeah.
2: after the resurrection. And I have, of course, no way of knowing um, <laughs> what was going—you know—whether this was intentional, somebody slyly put this in here, or whether that community was a way, you know was paying attention to the early story about Thomas's insist- insistence on touch, but. I do think it's interesting that that one uh, sense has been added in the Gospel of Thomas.
3: My my first impulse, in, in looking at this, and you guys may have already sort of sort of covered this, is that what he's saying is I'm going to give you something that is that is sort of purely spiritual, rather than mm-hmm. than pertaining to the body. And um, mm-hmm. but but the the what has not arisen in the human heart. I mean, that throws me yeah. off a little bit because. <laughs> yep. We think of the heart as very material, of course, but mm-hmm. but I, I don't I don't think I, I don't think that it, it has that sense here.
1: Yeah, that's not what they're referring to. They're not talking yeah. about the physical blood pumping exactly. thingy.
3: Exactly. Exactly. So right. so it, if it if it just stopped after what no hand has touched, I think that the interpretation would perhaps be be somewhat clearer because you just say, oh, you know, he's he's talking about the purely spiritual rather than the the day to day material, but. But yeah. it, it's, it's, it's more than that. And, yeah. and and I think that this is not uh, uncommon in, uh, you know, a, a community that's trying to forge its own identity mm-hmm. uh, to say this is something new. This is something, this is a new revelation. Yeah. This is not just the same old, same old over and over again. That, that this revelation has not yet sort of come to pass yet. That mm-hmm. there's something exceptional about the Christ event. That um, that historically marks uh, a sea change in in the participation of the divine in the world. Um. I'm, I'm, you know I'm riffing here of course because you know I jump into a conversation you know 30 seconds in I haven't read the material and and I'm, I'm just going
1: oh, like to It's like that mind. nightmare you have where you show up to the final at your college class and you haven't been all all semester and you have yeah, that one right? You have it from the, the other side yeah. so. <laughs> but
2: Actually though that was what you know Bishop Canterbury and I saw as well because as you point out the first part okay we're talking about the, you know, the senses we're aware mm-hmm. of that the physical senses. But then what is not entered into the heart of man, we understand that the heart here is not being referred to the organ but it, into that very deep part of the human psyche. Here's and, the thing
1: about that though. I, right. I, I I don't think that that's this is necessarily something super esoteric in in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. what they're talking about they're using poetic language here to talk about, you know, what no person has ever thought of before because I in a in in a sense, in this time period, the idea of the heart, the noose, that 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 intellectual center lived in the heart. Right. So that what we're right. talking about is what what we're going to give you here is not something that is of this world. That's I, I think that's pretty much. This is why I wanted to lump seventeen and eighteen together because I honestly didn't think we were going to spend that much time talking. About 17. <laughs> <laughs> this is the easy part, right? That's I mean, kind of what one, I thought. Like, oh, and yeah. I, you know, and, and I stand here correctly. Leave here it.
3: First. Leave it to us to make to make the perfectly straightforward problematic.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so,
3: well, and to you, make you know, I would
2: brother's well. life miserable. Yes, right. You
0: know, I would have to agree, though, with, uh, you know, Father Tony in this, and I think we did touch base a little bit of this on the, on the video show, is that I do think, you know, when they are talking the idea of the heart, that is probably meant in the context of that time, probably within the idea of of, of the intellect or of the mind. Of human so, reason. Yes, sure. yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, you know, uh, basically I think, you know, Father Tony just summed it up in a very simple little nutshell. Here is that you know, this is basically beyond our normal senses of perception of the mind, of our physical perception. Um, you know, I think that's pretty much to the point.
2: Well, I, and as we talked about early in the video, this. It represents something new, and that's why I kind of like the fact that they put 17 and 18 together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because 18 is about beginnings, and I have no idea what what the intent was of the compiler, but I kind of like that that happened.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It, it, the one flows right into the other. So you, here, I'm going to give you something that has never been seen before on this uh, this in this cosmos, and it is the beginning. I'm going to give you the beginning so that you can discover where the end shall be.
3: Now, I, I do have a, a question in looking at 18, uh, because there seems to be some, there seems to be a little bit of disagreement on the translation, um, okay. because some translations say, you know, uh, tell us, you know, what our end will be, and his answer is, uh, sort of, when, when you found the, when you found the beginning, then you'll know the end. Mm-hmm. And, and other translations seem to say, he's, he's almost chiding them. He's saying, oh, you know, are, are you already done? Have you already found the beginning? You know, are you, are you already done with this work? And so he's telling them that they ought not to, 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 to try to run before they can crawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, he's teasing them. He's saying, oh, ha- have you already found the beginning that you're looking for the end? Um, because the idea is that if you knew the beginning... If you really knew the beginning, then the end would be obvious because right. they are ultimately the same. And There's a
1: lot of times in Thomas where Jesus comes off being kind of a snarky dick. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> a, I think, oh, God. He, okay. My reading of the text here is that he's being a little snarky. He's like, oh, so obviously, you why are you asking me? Because you, you already have the answer, don't you? Right. He's, he's pulling the the sort of Socratic move, where it's 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 oh you know obviously you've already got the answer why don't you tell me uh, yeah. what
0: the answer is? I think you do see a little of that in like said in some of the translations. I mean I'm looking right here on uh, the earlychristianwritings.com dot uh, uh, website and they've got. Uh, Three different translations, and one of them is pretty snarky. <laughs> you know, tell us what uh, your end will be. Jesus said, what? Have you then deciphered the beginning?
3: Yeah. Then ask see, about the
0: end? It. I mean, it's like, I mean, I see that, and I see snarkiness. Um, one of the things, so that we had you brought up... projecting a little bit there. But one of the things that we had discussed in the video show is kind of the idea, though, of of time and that many of us obviously here in this human existence think of time very much in a linear sense, you know. Do you think, Mar Thomas, that Time is sort of the essence of what is being discussed here, of kind of thinking outside of linear time, of I, I circular think time. You I know, think that's of the- exactly right. I think, mm-hmm. and and
3: that actually sort of leapt to my mind. There were two things that sort of jumped out at me there. That on the one hand, uh, there is there is this sense that uh, that that there is this kind of cyclical return that that. Uh, I, I've, I've just been re-watching, uh, of all things, Battlestar Galactica. And the, the 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 refrain you hear over and over again that I just love is, all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. And uh, so this is, I think, really interesting to, to think of that in terms of cyclical time. Because the idea of... Of time as as this straightforward, uh, you know, we're going to move from past to present to future, or you know, before to now to after. That's a relatively recent sort of conception of time. That that the more primordial experiences of time were tied to to the seasons. They're tied to growing cycles. They're tied to the rising and setting of the sun, the rising and setting of the moon, the movement of the stars, and mm-hmm. all of those things happen in cycles.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and so it would be uh, sort of obvious and, you know, sort of a, a straightforward uh, way to think about things to say, well, they're, they're doing the same thing. They're thinking in terms of this more cyclical time. Certainly our traditionalist thinkers, people like, like René Guénon and, uh, and others, really emphasize that, that the idea of linear time is very much a modern conception um, so, so I think that that's absolutely right. And I think that not unconnected to that, and I, I, I think I run the risk of, of this here somewhat, um, is the, the idea that, um, uh, is in Keter and Keter is in Malkut after another fashion, mm-hmm. that, that the beginning, the beginning and the end, that everything is sort of, um, as it were sort of stored up in, in the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and this is actually, uh, believe it or not, a very, uh, a very Greek conception. Uh, the Greeks had the idea of the Arche. And so Aristotle, for example, talks a lot about the Arche. And if you know the Arche, if you know the origin, then you know the telos, you know the, the end of things. And because the telos is determined in advance by the arcade, by the, the nature of the thing. And so, and so in that context, I think this statement makes a lot of sense. That mm-hmm. if you can really figure out, if you give some thought, if you give some, uh, some attention, if you pay some heed to what the, the origin of things is, then the end of things, the goal of the, and, and and I mean the, the end in the terms of the goal or or where it's leading to, not a stopping, but the that the goal of things uh, becomes obvious because it's it's already there, it's already present, and so this I think is a it, it, you know makes a certain lot of, amount of sense in that that context. And, and remember that when when he's talking about the end here, and I don't. I, I, I don't have the Greek text, mm-hmm. um, b, b, but I would suggest that that in Greek the, and 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 if this has a relation to a Greek original, because the the text itself, correct me if I'm wrong, is in Coptic. Is that right? It is. Yes. I, I've
1: got it here on a page. I think I just put, pasted it in the chat for you.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if I can find that, I can take a look at the Coptic because there, you know, there are times when the 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 Coptic and the and the Greek overlap real nicely. Um, oh yeah, here it is. Um, well,
1: while yeah, you're looking at that, I actually yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring up a, a different kind of interpretation. The way that I've always read this particular logia is um, the disciples are asking him about the end of the world. They're they're asking him, you know, an eschatological question. They're they're saying, you know. Uh, well, the early Christians certainly—they all—they uh, were—they were taught and they believed that the end of the world was coming in their lifetimes, and that the the second coming yeah. of Jesus and you know on the on on the throne and all that stuff that was happening in Revelation that was going to happen before they all died. You know, it was mm-hmm. going to happen pretty much any minute. And right. so, uh, one of the ways that I read this is, hey, what's going to happen to us? Are we all going to you know be taken up into heaven with you or or, you know what's going to happen what tell us about our end and he says who cares about that have you even started do you know what you're doing right what are you doing right now and so this has always been kind of an invocation to beginnings for me you Mm -hmm. know do do something right now it's you're always starting something whether it's you know you're starting on a, a long path of the 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 journey of a million miles begins with the single step, right? And so this is this mm-hmm. kind of eternal now that we always have to be just beginning, just doing something.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, looking at looking at the text, if I can just uh, jump in, mm-hmm. and uh, I am by no stretch of the imagination a, a, a Copticist. I don't have that. But I'm looking and I am seeing this word arke. Arche. Um, it's, and it, it looks like that's the that's actually the word that's being used there for the beginning is is arche, um, and I, I, I'm not seeing telos there, um, but that's that's unsurprising. But it is so they are talking about they are using this word um, et arche and and uh, et arche. Um, we're seeing sort of in there. So I think that that if I'm reading this correctly, and I could be you know, entirely wrong here. Right, and you never um, know
1: it, with Coptic which ones are, are Greek loanwords and which ones are yeah. Egyptian, written it, in it Greek. Looks,
3: it looks pretty oh. clearly like this word beginning here is uh, a, the Greek loan word arche. So that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, so I, th- I think that, uh, that yeah, I mean, I, I like this idea that that he is again sort of chiding them mm-hmm. and saying... Saying you're, you're you haven't even started. Why are you worrying about what's coming? Right. Mm-hmm. Worry about worry about you know your own development. Worry about getting on the path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you can if you can do that, the end will sort itself. It will it will take care of itself. Um, and. I, I think that 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 all of these things that we're talking about are are tied together this idea of, of the cyclical return the idea of of the sort of Kabbalistic connection of the beginning and the end and and this idea that you know, g- g- he's trying to light a fire under them he's just trying to get them to, to really to really do some work here
0: mm-hmm
2: one thing I would point out is that the fellows in the Jesus seminar uh, labeled this saying black that it was not definitely not uttered by Jesus, <laughs> uh, which I think which I think is interesting. Do you know
3: uh, the Do you know the basis for that? What the what uh because I mean there are no dummies, right? I mean these they, are no, these they, are they the weren't best Scholars, so
2: yeah, and I mean there are people who disagree with them. Um, here I have, I've got an excerpt here. Um, Funk and Hoover, Funk wrote the book, uh, The Five Gospels. Thomas consistently opposes speculation about the end. Compare Go, Go, Thomas three fifty one and 113. The idea that one returns in the end to one's beginning has parallels in Gnostic texts. The goal of the Gnostic's existence is to escape the created world of evil and return to the, man, to the state of primordial perfection that existed in the beginning. Aspects of this concept are also reflected in Thomas 49. Uh, The final phrase in 18.3 is particularly Thomian. Uh, All these factors led the fellows to designate the saying black. Doesn't have a lot of information there, but um, apparently they they felt that it was too far afield. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: but far afield according to which criteria. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, and the Jesus Seminar, you have to keep in mind that that the Jesus Seminar was a particular group. There was a particular time, a particular group of people. um, With a particular agenda. With a particular Um, agenda. Yeah. yeah, And mm -hmm. I'm I'm not going to dispute. Yeah. I'm just saying that 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 is the conclusion that they came to. Yeah. But
1: I mean, let's talk about timing a little bit here we've talked about this on previous uh episodes we talk about the gospel of thomas where you know this could very well represent a very early um a very early christian writing (laughs) you know earlier than Mm -hmm. than certainly the uh than the 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 four gospels probably not earlier than paul's letters but um the the idea that these that this saying has parallels or that that 17 specifically has parallels with other, um, with other canonical and Old Testament sources. Uh, do, do you think that this represents an earlier tradition that is being carried through and that by association of Verse 18, uh, Logian 18 with Logian 17, something that is arguably older, I mean Old Testament older, mm-hmm. uh, it, does that give credence to this as as something that is, uh, I don't know, I, I hate to say it, but a more authentic version of what Jesus might have taught, despite what the Jesus Seminar might think?
2: Well, Jesus' seminar weren't got, weren't Gnostics, um, right. <laughs> by stretch of the imagination. I, you know, it's hard to say. I, you know, I would feel a lot more comfortable if I could go verse by verse to the Gospel of Thomas and see if I can find any more matchups like this. Mm-hmm. I, I would feel a lot more comfortable answering that if I could just, you know, see if I could find other examples. Yeah,
1: well, I, I, there are probably people who have done that and written books about it. I, I don't know yeah. specifically off the top of my head any good ones, but... Uh there's certainly a lot of, of par- a lot of parallel, a lot of overlap between you know the synoptics and, and this uh, yeah. and this document, with the various sayings and everything. So,
2: but as Funk points out, during in various other places in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus urges them not to be seeking, not to be paying a whole lot of attention to the end. Um, right. And at one point, he says, you know, the, the kingdom of God is among you. Just you know, people just can't see it. As I yeah, you know, we talked about this in the video. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it seems to me not out of character for Jesus, whether he was being snarky or whether he was being descriptive, and saying, and this was just addressing the, uh, the disciples who had just received some gnosis. I'm not sure, but it doesn't it doesn't seem out of character for me based on what I've read in the canonical New Testament as well as the Gospel of Thomas for him to basically be say, saying, "Don't be concerning yourself about the end." you you, you, stand, you stand where you are now I, I don't mm-hmm. see that as being particularly out of character
3: no yeah, no I think I, I think I definitely agree but I, I maybe I mean the answer is in this this last bit that says that you know blessings be to the one who who stands at the beginning the one who who sort of gets the beginning because that one will know the end so so being yeah. at the beginning is enough mm-hmm. but then will also will not taste death that that mm-hmm. the promise of immortality is there yeah. the promise of of salvation is there all you have to do you don't have to worry about when the end is coming and and you know maybe this is just another echo of of the thief in the night right yeah. mm-hmm. that that we we don't know when that end is coming so don't don't worry about that, because if you and and this is the way I've always read the the thief in the night passages, um, if you're always prepared, if you're always doing the work, then then you don't have to worry uh, when when the time comes when I when mm-hmm. I come back, for example, in the, in the mainstream gospels, because you, you'll always be set. And it it reminds me, it draws to mind something actually of all places from. From Epictetus, the great uh, Stoic philosopher, uh, who has a passage in, I believe, in the Enchiridion or in the the Golden Sayings, where he says, um, "What do I want to be doing? What do I want to be doing when death finds me?" And he says, "If I could choose, I'd be doing some deed of great humanity. I would be, you know, I would be doing something great and noble and exceptional when death finds me." But the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, I don't know when death is going to come. So what I do, what I have to do then is to do what I can always do, which is work on making myself better, mm-hmm. work on uh, working out my own tranquility, he says. And, and, and if you're doing that all the time, then when death finds you, then you're, you're set. You're good to go. You've, you've done what you're supposed to do. And I think there might be a similar lesson here that that if you do this work, if you get to the beginning, if you set out on that path, and you're always moving forward on that path, it doesn't matter when the end comes, because when the end comes, you will have been moving forward at that point.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I'm, I I might be connecting just you know, completely disparate things here, but I'm just, you know, I mean, you guys are, have, you know, known me long enough to know the sort of, you know, maddening way that my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> so, where I, I, I connect these things from all sorts of stupid places. Well, that's you the don't. point
2: of reading these things out loud and discussing them too. Believe me, it happens all the time, particularly on our show, but it's, it's when you, when you work with the text, um, you're going to find things uh, that, you know, most commentators probably haven't seen.
1: <laughs> We've got an hour and 20 minutes to fill. we got to talk about <laughs> a lot of stuff.
2: What I like here is um, also in the end, as bit Mark Thomas notes, in the, in the end here, we have, blessed is he, we have these, paral- these, these parallels here, shall stand, and the person who shall stand shall know. And shall not taste death. Mm-hmm. There, and I, I love the way this translation lays this out with with the way with the way you know you're going to shall shall and then shall not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a matter of standing at the beginning. When you stand, you shall know, and then you shall not taste death. And I love the way that was translated.
3: Yeah, right. that's a wonderful wonderful parallel that, that runs through that.
2: And it runs yeah, through the
3: entire,
1: the entire the yeah. entire gospel because we just talked uh, last time we talked about the gospel Thomas about Logan sixteen, mm-hmm. um, for there will be five in a house, three against two, and two against three. Father against the son, son against the father, and they will stand alone. And we talked a lot about yeah. standing. Yeah, last we did. Time we talked about that. And mm-hmm. if you throw further back to to the first, the very first Logan, uh, who whosoever interpre- discovers the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the the interconnectedness, the web that is created through these various sayings, yeah. um, is pretty telling in my opinion, that you can go back and forth and see these parallels, and the only way you can do that actually is by kind of living with these uh, these sayings, kind of almost exactly the way that we're doing it. I mean, this is the certainly the Gnostic text that I've read most frequently. Um, mostly because it's easy and short and it's not all weird like some of them others <laughs> uh, but but it just it is because of those little moments where you see oh he mentioned that way back here or further on down the, down the text and how do they relate and what does that mean when you put the two of them side by side
3: mm-hmm. well there is the there is the other connection to to the idea of not tasting death uh, which is of course in the apocalypse uh, where we're told, you know, the Apocalypse of John, where, where we said that uh, when we're getting the, the letters to the, to the churches, and he says that um, you know, they will not taste the second death, mm-hmm. uh, that there's this whole, pro- that the promise of immortality is, is not, oh, you're going to live forever, but it's, it's that you won't, you won't taste this second death, this death of perdition. Um, and I would have to look and see how common that, that terminology of tasting death mm-hmm. is um, and, and how literal that is as well. I mean, that's, uh, that may just be a, a translator's sort of quirk. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's, in fact, what the text says and it uses that literal term, then that's a really interesting connection to the previous logion.
1: I've read mm-hmm. a lot of translations of this document, and every single time it says, taste death. There's because no, there's it no says, ambiguity about it.
3: I'm going to give you something that doesn't have to do with the eyes, it doesn't have to do with the ears, it doesn't have to do with the hand, it doesn't have to do with the heart, and if you do all those things, then you're going to avoid tasting. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to feel. You're not going to. You're not going to touch. You're not going to see. You're not going to hear. And if you don't do all those things, then you won't have to taste. I, and there is. I mean, maybe there is a, a, a stronger uh, anti-cosmic, a, a sort of anti-natalist even um, uh, sense here, or an anti uh, body sense yes. here. Um, mm. I don't know. I. I may be completely over reading that
1: Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) well that's that's what we're here for
3: yeah it's one of those things where where you 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 run the risk of just reading way too much into this especially when when you're looking at translations Mm -hmm. so they will not taste death and that's I mean, it's a, on some level, I mean, it's just a wonderful sort of description that death is something that, it's not something that befalls you, it's something that you, that you taste, it's something that you take into your mouth. Um, and it tastes a bit like
1: snozzberries.
3: <laughs> well, I, actually, it, it's funny because my immediate thought is uh, that it's, it's going to be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your belly.
2: I was just uh, thinking about that, Martin. Yeah, that it's that, yeah. The, there's yeah. that
3: other really wonderful invocation of the sense of taste, yeah. of of eating, and uh, you know the the idea that something that somehow death is about is about consuming. You're consuming your own death. You're eating your own death. Yeah. What what would it mean to put your own death into your mouth? And I think that you could just go in in just all sorts of just completely crazy directions.
1: Well, let's go in one. I, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking some really
2: disgusting ones. <laughs> well, so okay. So
1: what if uh, what if tasting death is only one aspect of death that was widely understood to the audience that this was um, <laughs> that this was going for? And all all he's saying at this point is you won't taste death, but you'll still smell it and you'll, you'll hear it. <laughs> and you'll, well, you know, that's kind of mean, isn't well, it? Maybe. I don't know. We've got an hour to fill here, so. It... Um, I don't know. I mean this this
3: term gets used so frequently. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. shows up over and over again.
0: Well, I, um, we see it in Matthew, we see it in Luke. I mean, we see it all over the Gospels.
3: Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I say to you that there are there are some of you who are standing here who won't taste death. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the. Oh well, Yeah, that's the Matthew one, right? Yeah, yes. Matthew
0: sixteen twenty-eight. That is correct.
3: Oh, there you go.
2: Oh, uh, I, I just so. found something. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the internet um,
1: is so wonderful.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. It's wonderful. Hebrews two nine, um, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, and now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone.
0: Hmm. So the idea of Christ as the eater of death—that
1: reminds me of that really weird movie with Heath Ledger. Uh, I knew
3: you were going to go there. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. That's such a fantastic movie in its horribleness. It it uh, really is,
1: yeah. And that guy just, who plays the the bad guy. Oh, uh, what's that actor? It's Peter name? Weller. Yes. It's,
3: it's RoboCop as as yes. the Black Pope. Come on, how you can't do any better than that?
1: So, <laughs> I think I found uh, the title of the episode. <laughs>
3: Uh, Um, but, but there is that, I mean, as hokey as that movie is, um, there is something wonderful about the way that you, that you vicariously atone. The way that, that you atone for another is that you eat, you eat the, the bitter things so that they don't have to.
1: And, um, and here instead it's the the order two thousand three is the name of the movie. In case anybody wants to check that out on Netflix,
3: and you should, right, you yeah. absolutely should. Uh, there's a death scene in it that's that is the hokiest thing that since <laughs> you know nineteenth century melodrama. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. It's just you know, it's got nothing on uh, Bill Shatner shouting. Con! You
0: know, I mean,
3: it's it's on the same level. I, I love that movie. I absolutely adore it. Um, but this idea of of eating eating something nasty so that somebody somebody else doesn't have to, right? It's 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 taking the big swig of the milk that you think has gone off so that so that nobody else has to, you know, get a mouthful of of, of curd. Um,
1: I'm not sure that tracks because you could just throw <laughs> that away. You don't yes. have to eat it so somebody else doesn't have to.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a good call. I, I, I might have pushed that metaphor just <laughs> one step over the line there. Um, but, but I still think that this idea of, of eating is, is really fascinating, that, that death is something. And I don't know that, I mean, if we hear death, if you hear death, that's the approach of death, right? And if you smell death or you see death, Or or you 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 feel the touch of death. Those are all things that happen just before death. Those are the things those are the the hints that death is right there. But when you eat it, that's it. Game over, man. I mean that's you know, you you've you've taken it into yourself.
2: The sense of death sense of taste is incredibly primal. And it, it, you know, people can stand to look at discuss, you know, will look at disgusting things or hear distressing things. Um, you know, that sort of thing might happen. But when you have to taste something, that can t- really kind of take over your whole person uh, if it's something. that's a very strong flavor, and uh, so I think it's kind of, it's a very apt me- metaphor there, tasting death, because. You can be you know, when you get something in your mouth, you might have an involuntary response to it mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. at that point, point. and it, it lingers. I mean, that's what tasting is, and it's something, of course, that we we begin to do very, very early in life. Is we, you know, we drink mother's milk or from milk from a, a, a formula, but that's one primary source of comfort. But it can also be a massive source of distress. Mm-hmm. I mean, babies
3: stick, babies stick everything in their mouths. Well, yes, that's absolutely. Their, that's their primary access to the world is,
2: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
3: you know, I remember watching my own kids as infants and, you know, they're crawling around and they're exploring things. And the first thing they do when they encounter something new is they stick it in their mouth. And yeah. of course, you know, as a parent, you're, you know, you're desperately grabbing and yanking things out of their mouths all the time, uh, but that's, that's how they learn them. That's how they, they, they get, that's how they get a sense of these things because I think it, it is so primal. It is so basic and, and it is, it is real internal. It, you know, I can smell something from a distance. Mm-hmm. I can, I can hear something, see something from a distance. I can even feel, you know, the sort of breeze, you know, I can feel it on the wind, but if I taste it, then it, it went into my mouth. It went into an orifice in my body, and <laughs> that, there's no way around that. I mean, that is that is as material as it gets. So yeah. so I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, the 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 writers of this text uh, have a a really keen sense of this of this metaphor.
2: And I, you know, I, I hadn't even really thought about because I've seen this 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 tasting death so many times before. It's one of those things that I just kind of ignore and and, and phase up. But what, what it was interesting to me is I I think of death as being the consumer rather than us consuming death. Um, mm-hmm. I think of death as being being something um, that you know it, it it ends your life. It takes over the body and and, and that sort of thing. And actually. It well you, you decompose, but this is actually um, placing the action in an entirely different way, in a different different uh, position. That we are the ones consuming death, not death consuming us, mm-hmm. and that has implications that I'm going to need to meditate on.
3: Yeah, I mean it really just leads leads into so many interesting directions. I think. So I'm I'm you know scrolling through. I just put you know taste death into. Uh, in, into Google and I'm just scrolling through all of the, you know, all the crazy stuff that, that, you know, sort of pops out from, you know, everything from, you know, traditional, you know, from canonical scripture to Skyrim to Metallica. I <laughs> mean, this, it's, it's all here. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, there's even a My Little Pony, uh, uh Image, I guess. Um, the the leave it Leave it to the Barony's to to you know co-op tasting death. Um, so I mean, it really is something really primal, really sort of basic and and, and primordial. So
2: there's even um, from top Islamic wallpapers. Apparently, ta- uh, everyone shall taste death. It's a, it's it's in the Quran. So. Interesting.
3: There's there's a whole website of top uh, top Islamic wallpapers, huh? I mean,
2: that's yes, there is, and there's an, well. Here's another one. Well, they're uh, quite keep, pretty, actually. Um, right? Keep calm, cause every soul shall taste of death. Um, Did
1: they do huh? one of those posters? One of those British World War Two posters with the keep, keep,
3: calm, and keep calm and taste keep death. Keep calm and taste death. Yeah, there's uh, one here. It's no, keep calm, it.
2: uh, co UK. <laughs> um, so there we go.
3: Yeah. So I. So this is not even just within the 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 Judeo-Christian Judeo-Christian tradition, but also uh, sort of carries on over into into the Islamic tradition. Uh, so this is yeah. This is something that I think is uh, we, we've hit something really sort of sort of primordial here. So I think that we're right to uh, to. to to chew it up and, and, and see what happens. So, and taste it. And taste it. Yummy, yummy death. Um,
2: <laughs> taste
3: and see. <laughs> taste and see how, how dead you are. Uh, oh, I found the, the. That's even got the the surah there. So. Yeah. I, I should not be allowed to, to Google, <laughs> while I'm, while I'm just, Google while I'm on a podcast. That's just. I should not Google while. Things are. Yeah things are crazy enough without me, you know, plugging into the
1: internet as well. So. <laughs> well, so, can I, can I loop back actually a little bit? You, you mentioned, um, uh, the book of revelation earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you didn't mention, uh, which I made a note of while you were talking during the video that this, um, uh, beginning and end business, uh, reminds me a lot of, you know, the alpha and the omega. That is uh, referred to in the in the Book of Revelation, and so I can see that there is a there is a progression of ideas that travel through these various texts, and you can almost trace, you know, the the, the community as it goes through the you know the various forms and and the various symbol sets, um, you know, ultimately landing at, at Revelation, and then and then coming through to uh, to the present day. So there's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of very interesting uh, connections that can be drawn even across the various traditions. so
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well, I think that, that that's the, the as we were saying before, that's the wonderful thing about really working with these, uh, with these texts is these these connections. Uh, start to form, and all of a sudden you're you're off to the races, and, and now you're reading, now you're reading the Apocalypse of John, and now you're reading the Gospel according to Matthew, and now you're reading the Letter to the Hebrews, and now you're, you know, watching. And now you're reading the Quran, and now you're watching, you know, horrible Heath Ledger movies. <laughs> uh, you know, and and drawing all of these things together, but that's how we get, uh, that's how we get these sort of meaning networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is by making precisely these connections, and who's to say if how many of these are are intentional, how many of these are you know were in the mind of of the the writers or the editors? I, I think that's a secondary question. Um, that's a that's a question for for historiographers, uh, but for us as as people who are trying to live this practice, uh, these. These connections are, are really at the heart of, of what it is that we're trying to do.
1: And, right, and I would say exactly this: I would to somebody who was asking those kinds of questions. You know, have you discovered the beginning that you know that you want to know what the end shall be? You know, it, it it's not. I mean, yes, it's important and it's intellectually interesting to discuss these things and to discuss the ultimate uh, goals of these things. But at the same time don't forget about that, your own personal beginnings, you know, just, Mm -hmm. just do something today. Yeah.
3: That that ultimately it has to come down to a practice. It has to, it has to come down to the way in which scripture of any sort, uh, makes an impact. It it sets us off on the road. And, and I think that that, I I think that father Tony is absolutely right. That, that, that Christ is sort of, is, is saying you know get to work, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do something, uh, and then if you do something, then then the, the mind your pennies and your pounds will take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but as long as you've as long as you set out on the path, then then the the end is something that that you won't have to worry about.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. You know, Bishop Canterbury, in the show before last, when we were discussing another passage in the Gospel of Thomas, noted um, that standing is an important developmental milestone for children, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, it's one of the, one of those things that, you know, you, you know, so the child is progressing, and if the child stands, and this is, you know, is what enables the child to eventually learn how to walk and be mobile, and I—that's really stuck with me. Um, standing is something that we see a lot in Scripture, both canonical and gnostic, but this emphasis on standing, which we see in the Gospel of Thomas. Um, the, the importance of being able to stand, getting mm-hmm. even to that point, I think is incredibly important. And uh, so for those of us, uh, as, as uh, Mark Thomas has pointed out, the, the importance of, and, and Father Tony, the importance of actually working with these scriptures so that you can get it to the point where you can actually stand. Mm-hmm. That itself takes work. The baby doesn't start standing overnight. The baby has to work at it.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, and again, I will point out something that I had discussed during our video show is it's again, it's, it's beginning of the work. It's doing the work, but without, without looking for the lust of result, without looking for the end, you know? It is the continual process of doing the work, just as, as we're discussing tonight, and as Mar Thomas has pointed out, you know, it is looking for those associations and looking at this text and this and this, and seeing how all of these things do tie together, seeing how, uh, you know, how Gnosis isn't this one-dimensional um, thing, that it isn't limited to our, to our five senses, it isn't limited to... to touch and hearing and sight and even, you know, a mind or intellect, and it's beyond all those things. But to get to that point, we have to first start the work.
3: <laughs> well, and, you know, it, it occurs to me, talking about standing,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, in, in German, the verb stehen, it shows up in, in all kinds of, of interesting places, and the one that occurs to me right off the bat is ausstehen, in, in German, means to suffer or to endure something. Uh, to st- almost in the sense of to stand firm, and, and or to stand up to something, um, and and I, I because if if we're talking about standing at the beginning, mm-hmm. that's the sense that 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 I get is this this standing firm at the beginning, this this standing up at the beginning, and and. N- in spite of the things that are going to try to knock you down, and in, in spite of the things that are going to try to bowl you over, you mm-hmm. stand your ground. Um, you know there there are all of these sort of there are so many words in in both English and German. You know where standing uh, is
1: is so important. Um, you know well, it's it's what <coughs> it's what sets us apart from every other thing that lives on the earth more or less Mm -hmm. um you know prairie dogs Mm -hmm. prairie dogs and kangaroos Mm -hmm, and -hmm. and a couple of other things but they're cool they can hang out with us um absolutely you know we we stand on two legs and we have this kind of this physiology that has developed to quite differently from most other things on earth Mm -hmm. um And has allowed us as a species, you know, if you go in for that evolution stuff that, uh, you know, to use our hands for other things and to start thinking deeper thoughts, all because, you know, we started to, you know, only use two of our appendages for movement as opposed Mm -hmm. to all four.
3: So. Yeah, I was—I was just going to ask that. I mean, whether that—that's considered sort of a, a, an important sort of uh, contributor to to our dominance and our our evolution in this particular way that that we stand, and you know, clearly it is. I and mean, so. Yeah.
2: And I'm also thinking about um, soldiers that are trained to stand at attention for very long periods of time, and it's a—you know—it's it's a miserable, in some cases, excruciating. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah,
3: I can. I can probably. I can probably make Bishop Canterbury drop over just with two words: parade rest. <laughs> so uh, you lock your knees oh, and, and, you, and you drop over like a fly. You know, they start dropping like flies. So.
2: Yeah, um, but that you know that, that that in and of itself, just the, the standing itself, is a discipline. Um, not wandering around, but standing.
0: Mm-hmm. And no. it's
2: sometimes easier to wa- wander around, but you know.
0: I just wanted to point out here, it's kind of uh, funny that uh, Mark Thomas had said "at Parade of Rest, uh, serving in the Marine Corps, yes. Um, we won't even get into that right now. But uh, what I do find interesting is, um, if we just look at that verse a little bit deeper, it says, blessed is the person, one of the translations, blessed is the person who stands at rest in the beginning. Stands at rest. Um, do you think that there is anything special... Um, in this, in this particular translation by Leighton, where uh, kind of the emphasis is being put up on the person who stands at rest. Um, I'm not really seeing this in some of the other translations here. Blessed is he who stands at the beginning. I'm seeing blessed is the man who reaches the beginning. Uh, for where the beginning is, there he shall be the end. Um, but in this latent translation, we do see this kind of emphasis. Blessed is the person who stands at rest in the beginning. Um, do you think that was just poor translation in his end? Or is there any significance to the idea of standing at rest?
1: Uh, well, here's <laughs> um, in in verse, uh, in Logian uh, 50, um, mm-hmm. what is the sign of the Father in you? Tell them it is a movement and a rest. And a rest. Yes. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, people who have listened to this show more than once have heard me talk about um, the seek to see him uh, by April DeConick, the book seek mm-hmm. to see him. And she by who, by who Father by, Tony, by, by uh, Doctor April DeConick. Ah, yeah.
2: who is that again, Father Tony?
1: Yeah, I have a bit of a crush on April Yeah. <laughs> 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 We should get her on the
0: show sometime. That would be... We,
2: that yeah. would be uh,
0: uh, I don't think that you would be able to communicate, but, but it would still be a great idea. <laughs>
3: no, I have yeah, 30,000
1: questions.
0: Yeah, we have tongue up, so... Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: uh, uh, I 30,000 questions. I wouldn't be able to stop. <laughs> so, uh, that, uh, she pauses that that passage, that um, uh, Logan 50, is a bit of a, uh, a catechism, a call and response, and, you know, for mm-hmm for the initiate during the ascent ritual that they would undergo, um, to essentially to prepare themselves for death. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, isn't that the role of any, uh, religion worth its salt is to prepare the person for their, for their death. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, this standing at rest is the second part of that phrase. So the sign of the father being movement and rest, uh, Maybe the beginning consists of the movement and the end consists of the rest. I'm not entirely sure. That something to explore.
2: Interesting. And yeah, definitely something to explore. The more we work with this text, the more questions I have, which I suppose <laughs> is what ought to be happening. Right. Unless you're not doing the work, in which case,
1: <laughs> got to do
2: well, the work.
3: And, and and yeah, and if if you figure that you've got it all sorted out, uh, you're you're probably not trying hard enough. Hmm. So, so the the fact that we keep coming up with more and more questions that that even the simple passages start to become start to become tricky um, that just means that we're that we're thinking about them. I mean that's yeah. that's how you that's how you make anything uh, a, a theme of your consciousness is you've got to make it strange because when things are ordinary when things are everyday. We don't think about them. We just, uh, you know, they just become the the sort of background of our moving through the world. But as soon as something uh, fails, as soon as something becomes strange, when it becomes alien, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we, we give thought to it. This is... Um, a point that Heidegger makes in the, the introduction to being in time where, where he's talking about the, the hammer. It's a very famous example where we never give any thought to the hammer. You know, I, I want to hang something on the wall. I grab my hammer and I grab a, a nail and I tap it into the wall and I move on until the hammer breaks. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, it becomes strange and I start to think about the hammer. Well, what we've done is we've just sort of broken th- these, these logia and because we've broken them, now they seem strange. Now, they, now they're unfolding. Now they've become an object of thought. And that's I, I don't think that there's, there's anything that we can do with Scripture that is as meaningful and as productive as that.
2: Well, and, and we have even in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, too, Jesus said, He who seeks, let him not cease seeking until he finds. And when he finds, he will be troubled. And, and when he is troubled, he will be amazed and he will reign over the all.
3: Yeah, that's 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 a wonderful connection. I hadn't thought about that.
2: Yeah, you know, I remember um, during a very very dark period of my life, I decided to just start reading the canonical Old Testament again. Just you know, started reading it because that'll and...
3: certainly make you feel better about the world. <laughs> well, actually, it,
2: it, it it did because I was reading some of these really old stories, like about um, yeah you know, about um, uh, Jacob and, and and that sort of thing, and. What got me was just how strange these stories were. They were not the sugar-coated Sunday school stories. Mm. Um, you have a real, for example, real lack of a sense of morality. <laughs> you have these, these 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 rotten behaviors just being described. And sometimes God takes the side of the miscreant, and sometimes God doesn't. And you know, God is a very strange figure. I remember just reading this and being um, uh, being amazed at what I had missed even and, when I was in seminary.
3: And I think that we're called upon, especially those of us who who you know are part of the Gnostic tradition, to revel in that strangeness, to not yeah. not put that strangeness aside, not uh read it away or sugarcoat it as you said or 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 pass over it, but say, that's strange and where the strange things are, that's where the interesting stuff is happening. That's, that's where, that's where the important stuff is happening is when it gets weird.
1: (laughs) Well, before we get into something else, unfortunately we are out of time. I've got two more things in my notebook that we haven't gotten to. So maybe we'll uh, find a, a, another outlet to talk about those on a future episode. But, um, uh, Before we wrap up here, I wanted to plug our Patreon campaign. So for those of you who are not aware, and I don't know how you couldn't be at this point, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we talk about it a lot. But we have a Patreon campaign, which is a kind of crowdfunding thing that helps to support all of the stuff that we do here on the Gnostic NYC network. and, uh, and we're very grateful for all of the support we've received so far, but we know that there's an awful lot of you who listen to this podcast and, and watch the video that have not yet uh, donated to the Patreon campaign, and I would like to challenge you all to do so now. Whatever you can afford, if you can... Uh, Help us out in any way. Please do go over to patreon.com slash Gnostic and uh, give us some help. And the reason why I'm asking specifically right now is because um, further on down the rewards list at the $75 level, if we can get the $75 per video and podcast, um, I would really love to start doing a mystery science theater style um, movie podcast where we would, uh, a bunch of us would watch a movie together on Skype and comment on it so that... You can watch the movie and listen to the podcast in the same, at the same time, so we can discuss all of the interesting uh, symbolism in the movies uh, while you're watching the movie. And, and I'd really love to start doing that, but we need to get to that $75 level first. So, patreon.com slash gnostic, P A T R E O N.com slash gnostic. And uh, if you can help us get to $75, we would really love to start doing that show and other stuff even further down the line that I'd really love to start doing too, including some serialized fiction videos and, and, and some other interesting things with Gnostic themes. So please do support us at patreon.com slash Gnostic.
3: And we won't even make you dump a bucket of ice water on your head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nope. But you can if you want. I'm not going to stop you. You know, it's uh, <laughs> if that's your thing. Um but anyway, thank you once again, Mar Thomas, for joining us. Uh, so last minute, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, your insights were as valuable as I had hoped they would be. And I hope that everybody appreciates. Uh, well, it's
3: your- always, always a pleasure. I appreciate you uh, always keeping me in mind for this.
1: Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you so thank much, you Mark so Thomas. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. All right. And for those of you listening along at home, we'll see you next
0: week. Good night, everyone.
2: Good night.
1: This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 international license.